Well, I will say it again, welcome. We really are so thankful that all of you decided to carve out a little bit of time and spend it here with us today. Honestly, we never take that for granted, especially, especially if it is your first time joining us here at Grumlaw. Uh, one of the things that I absolutely love about this church in an area where God has been so incredibly faithful is that every single week, new people come walking through our doors. Every single week, new people tune in online. And if that would describe you here today, again, I just wanna say thank Thank you for giving us that opportunity. And our hope and our prayer is that this will be a place that you continue to return to. In fact, in that vein, I wanna challenge you, I wanna invite you to come back at least three or four times. And the reason that I say that is every single week is unique. Every single week is different. And I think it's just gonna take at least a couple of weeks for you to really get an accurate feel of what we're all about here. And I'm confident that, that if you do that, this will indeed be a place that you look forward to showing up to every single week. Uh, you're also catching us right now at a great time as today we are kicking off a brand new three-part series that's going to take us right through Labor Day titled The Art of Neighboring. My, my invitation and my challenge for every person who's watching right now would be to track with us for the entirety of the series. I, honestly, maybe I'm a little biased, but in person, I, I think that's the best way to go. Some of you, maybe you haven't joined us back yet in person. Some of you maybe have been watching online for like this whole quarantine and have never joined us in person. C come on in and, and join us. We would love to see you in person. But even if you can't be here in person, make sure you're at least tuning in for the entirety of the series online. Uh, very recently, I had the opportunity to speak at a physician's office uh, up in Flint. Uh, it's an individual who, who attends this church, and they, they kind of said, hey, Shay, will you uh, come in and speak to our staff? And I was admittedly kind of taken aback. I'm like, about what? And they're like, we want you to come in and share Jesus with our staff. And I was like, all right, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and so I showed up that day kind of with like this pep in my step, excited about this opportunity. And, and one of the things that, that I sensed almost immediately, almost as soon as I walked into the doors, was the unity amongst this particular staff. That, that, that it was more than a job for these people. Like that, that there was this loyalty that existed. You, you could tell that this was a group of people that encouraged each other, that really loved each other. This was a group of people that looked forward to coming to work each and every day. It, it was evident as you walked in the door. And sure enough, when those 30, 40 staff members all got in the same room and I had the opportunity to speak to them, again, you could just sense that camaraderie amongst the staff. Now, conversely, I remember back to my days of working in medical sales and, and I would walk into certain offices and the opposite held just as much true, that I'd walk in and the disunity would be so evident from the moment you walked in the door. There would just be this energy in the room that you're like, oh, I, I don't think these people really like each other. And sure enough, as, as you would get to know them a little better, there are these pockets of people talking bad about these pockets of people and these people who are supposedly friends, once you got them in different rooms, they were talking bad about each other. That, that, that disunity was really, really easy to sniff out as well. Jesus, whom, whom we talk an awful lot about here on Sunday mornings, hopefully that's not news to you, uh, in some of his final moments on this earth, he, he actually prayed for that unity among his followers. Now, now, this actually kind of blows my mind. Jesus is just hours away from, from his imminent death, and, and rather than being completely consumed by fear, and anxiety, he actually thinks of, well, us. He thinks of every single person who's watching right now. He pauses and he prays for us. Now, now, now keep in mind, this is God in the flesh. This is Jesus himself. 
He could have prayed for anything in this moment. He could have prayed for material blessing on all of our lives. He could have prayed for easy lives for all of us. He could have prayed for a lack of sickness. I mean, you name it. But it's interesting what he prays for. He chooses to pray for unity among his followers. Seriously, this prayer is actually captured for us in the book of John. John is one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Jesus' words, Jesus' prayer. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. That, that includes you, that includes me, through their message. I, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. He's saying, I, I pray that, that there will be such unity, just like the unity that Heavenly Father, you and I have. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect, there's our word, such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Why did Jesus, with some of his final words on this earth, Pray specifically for unity among his followers. He actually, and I'm thankful for this, he doesn't really leave us to hypothesize about this. He actually makes it very, very clear. He's saying right here, if all of you Jesus followers, if all of you Christians have such perfect unity, have such harmony, you get along and you love each other well despite the fact that you might not vote the same and dress the same and act the same and have the same interests, that, that will grab the attention of a broken world. And every single one of us, we know this to be true. Unity stands out just like it did in that physician's office, especially in the world that we find ourselves in where there is so much division. Now, unfortunately, this, this often does not characterize Christians. You, you don't have to look too far to, to know that to be true. Shoot, it might be the lack of unity that you have seen among Christians that might be the very reason that you have been reluctant to walk through the doors of a church, which I'm guessing probably had something to do with why Jesus specifically prayed for unity. He, he knew that this was gonna be a struggle for us. But, but Jesus also knew that if his followers got this right, come on, come on, if we get this right, People would be breaking down our doors to be a part of this, of all of this. He knew that if his followers, his church, experienced this unity and loved each other in this way, despite our differences, despite our disagreements, people, the world, would inevitably be drawn to him. See, see if you've ever spent any amount of time reading about and, and studying the life of Jesus, one of the things that you can't help but notice is that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And apparently, when you read about this, he liked him back. That's unity. And as his followers, we are called to be reflections of him. We are to show his love and unity to a world that so desperately needs him. Christian or not, there is something inside every single one of us that yearns for this. It's that yearning that might have very well caused you to tune in here today. You've officially had enough of division and negativity and animosity, and you're curious if maybe 
If maybe this Jesus dude really does offer a solution, if maybe he really does give us some hope, and I would say, and Grumlaw would say, but most importantly, Jesus would say, yes, yes, there is a solution, and Jesus is that solution. If people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus, and his followers are called to be a reflection of that unity, of that love, As Jesus prays, we should experience unity amongst one another and then go and pour out that love into our communities, into our neighborhoods. We we, we experience such unity, such love in our churches that it can't help but overflow into our communities, our neighborhoods, and in turn, people cannot help but be drawn to Jesus. We're gonna jump now into the book of Matthew. Matthew is another one of those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We already took a peek into John. And here in Matthew, in this particular interaction, uh, Jesus is approached by a religious expert. And the expert comes up to him and he says, hey Jesus, which is the most important commandment? And the context that he was asking this question from was a a Jewish context. Within the Jewish law, there are 613 laws. And he's going, Jesus, I know all these laws are important. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in there. But but amongst all these 613 laws, are, are, are there some that are like way more important than the other ones? And Jesus replies, yeah, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And that would have surprised no one. Everybody would have expected him to say as much. Maybe even you who are new to church, you're like, yeah, that sounds about right. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. But then he says, a second is equally important. That This would have drawn everybody in. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Equally important. The entire law, all 613 of them, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a pretty strong statement coming from the lips of the supposed son of God, right? I mean, equally important, as important as loving God as loving my neighbor as myself. And ever since Jesus uttered these rather famous words, people, and I might add typically annoying religious people, they've debated who exactly Jesus meant when he said your neighbor. Because if it's as important as loving God, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So we better figure out who our neighbor is. And and what we're doing in this series is we're cutting through all of that. We're cutting through all that religious red tape and just taking the words of Jesus literally. We, We are assuming that at the very least, Jesus would have certainly lumped our literal neighbors, our literal neighbors into that category. That when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, we can go round and round and debate who exactly he meant when he said that, but we're kind of thinking our actual neighbors would probably make the cut, as in the people that live within a couple hundred yards of you, or in some cases, literal feet from you. Listen, loving everyone is really important. We, we talk an awful lot about that, especially if you call yourself a Jesus follower, but let's not get so lost in everyone that we miss out on the people that God has strategically placed, in some cases, literal feet from your front door. Come on, isn't it crazy? Especially if you grew up going to church and this has just kind of always been a part of your life. Isn't it crazy to think that you can be loving your neighbor really well? I mean, you can be serving at places like Franklin Avenue Mission and Central Detroit Christian. You can go halfway around the world on a short-term mission trip. You can serve in community organizations like Habitat for Humanity. All really good things, by the way, that certainly constitute loving your neighbor well. 
but yet completely look past the people that live feet from your front door. That every day you get home, you immediately close that garage, you hunker down, and, and, and come on, let's be honest, you essentially live as if your neighbor doesn't exist. So for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk very practically about how we ought to go about loving our neighbors well, our actual neighbors. And, and I already know what, what some of you are thinking. Shay, you don't know my neighbor. Shay, you don't know my neighbor. Guess what? They're probably saying the same thing about you. And that's part of the problem. You don't know my neighbor. Neither do you. So, so, so how do we go about loving even that neighbor well? But because here's what I know to be true. And hopefully this isn't you know, Debbie Downer here this morning. Hopefully it's not news to you. Sunday morning services here at Grumlaw and movie nights put on by Grumlaw, and kids camp put on by Grumlaw, and other programs organized by Grumlaw, they are not going to transform our communities. I know, sad. No, no what's gonna transform Grand Blank and Heartland and everywhere in between are people who, yeah, show up here on Sunday mornings, but more importantly, more importantly, go out into their neighborhoods, go back out into their communities to show the love of Jesus to our neighbors. And again, we believe that loving your neighbors ought to begin with, well, your actual neighbors, the people you live in very close proximity to. As rudimentary and, and as obvious as this may seem, can you imagine what would change even right here in Heartland, right here in Grand Blanc, if just the people who call Grumlaw their church home got to work loving their neighbors well, like really loving them, personally sacrificing for hunting for ways to love their literal neighbors well. One of the most common things that we get here as, as a church, every single week, multiple times a week, we, we, we get calls from people right in our community. That The church gets these phone calls, that they need help fixing a wheelchair ramp. They need somebody to come over and move a piece of furniture. They need a little bit of help with their rent. Some of you, and I'm not saying this to, to poke fun at you, it's just an honest thing. Some of you even call sometimes. And you'll share with us, and you'll literally say, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, the guy across the street, they just lost a family member. They're going through a tough time. They just got a brutal diagnosis. And you're asking, hey, is there anything the church can do to help? <laughs> now, now, don't get this twisted. We, we, we want to help, and we often do help in those situations. We, we, we give away a lot, a lot of money. We talk about generosity here an awful lot. We give a lot of money to people right in our community that are never going to come walking through our doors. But, but wouldn't it be... <laughs> Wouldn't it be a whole lot better if there were just a bunch of Jesus followers throughout our communities that have done such a marvelous job showing the love of Jesus in the past that people don't think about calling a building that they just instinctively run over to their neighbor's house? That, that when they have a need, they're experiencing some sort of crisis. They, they just need somebody to talk to because of how well you you have shown the love of Jesus to them in the past. You become the first call. You are their first stop. Church, don't miss this. This is how the local church is supposed to operate. This is what Jesus followers have been called to. This type of unity and love is supposed to be obvious to a broken world. So if you're new to this whole church thing, hopefully you're tracking with me. Our goal isn't just to get more Christians huddle up here on Sunday mornings and just talk and talk and talk more and more and more about Jesus. No, it's about coming together to learn, to encourage, to, to worship the King of Kings collectively. But then we all get sent back into our communities to then live out what we've been taught 
to, to live out oftentimes commanded by Jesus himself to show the love of Jesus to our neighbors. People should be cared for out of relationships, not programs. People in our communities, come on, shouldn't be calling churches for help or support. Again, we're happy to fill that gap, but they should be stopping by their neighbor's house, that neighbor who has been shown the love of Jesus so well in the past that they don't even feel hesitancy reaching out, knocking on their door. So so to be clear, we're not doing this series to grow Grumlaw. People aren't projects. We, We don't love people to get something from them. We love people because that is what Jesus has called his followers to. That that's where we're going over these next three weeks. This has the opportunity to transform communities. This will show people what Jesus looks like. I'm telling you, people will find Jesus irresistible if we get this right. It's living like this that captured the attention of and changed the world some 2,000 years ago. And I'm positive, I'm positive that audacious kind of love, that unity can change the world today. So for the rest of our time together here this morning, we don't have too much time, and and, and you're definitely gonna see this kind of as a theme throughout the series, we're about to make this all kinds of practical. As you think your neighbors, that they will inevitably fall into one of three categories. And, and, And like any relationship, it's a progression. You move from stranger to acquaintance to relationship. And if you want any chance at moving from stranger, and I'm not going to ask people to raise hands or self-disqualify right now, but I'm sure it would be a sobering exercise to learn how many people who would identify as a Jesus follower would truthfully categorize their neighbors as indeed strangers. If you want any chance on moving from an stranger to acquaintance to eventually a relationship, it must first start with, you ready for this? There's about to be some mind-boggling stuff coming your way. Ready? Learning their name. (laughs) That's right, learning their name. Now, this was an embarrassing, I'll admit, throw myself under the bus, this was an embarrassing, a sobering exercise for me about a year ago when I came to grips with the fact that I didn't even know all of my neighbors' names. I mean, the people, again, who live within hundreds of yards of me, pitiful. Uh, If you're joining us in person today, uh, you you were handed a a neighborhood grid, a a block map of sorts. And although this might not be entirely to scale, depending on where you live, it's meant to be used as kind of this tool to capture some information about the eight households in closest proximity to yours. Whether you live in an apartment, a trailer park, a subdivision, in the middle of the woods, on some rural road, doesn't matter, just the eight households in closest proximity to you. Now, we recognize that if you're watching from home right now, uh, you don't obviously have this grid in front of you. So right now you can literally pull out a piece of paper, pull out a computer, pull out a note on your phone and just number a list one through eight. And that would represent the eight households in closest proximity to yours. And the piece of information that you ought to be able to fill into each one of those gaps first are the names of your neighbors. So so we're actually right now, we're going to pause and do a quick exercise. This started out kind of as a neighborhood grid. It's about to turn into a grid of shame. What I want you to do right now is on that list that you've just made, I want you to fill out the first names, including children, of the eight households in closest proximity to yours. Now listen here, as you do this, we're literally gonna put a minute timer on the screen and give you an opportunity to do this. Don't cheat. Don't look at what your spouse is writing down. This is all what is up in your brain. And again, it might be great that you know that person who lives 20 houses down from you. That's not who we're talking about. The eight households in closest proximity to yours. See how completely you can fill out those eight households with just the first names of everybody who lives under those respective roofs, okay? Now, again, I know I I can't see what you're doing because, again, you're at home. I'm here on a screen. Actually do this, number one through eight, 
fill out those eight households. You got one minute to do that. Do it now. How do we do? Some of you are seriously rethinking who you're even married to. It's like, do you even know the names of our children? <laughs> Here's a real statistic. Less than 40% of people would have been able to complete that grid, would have been able to complete that exercise. So if you are struggling, well, I guess misery loves company. But, but here's the homework assignment I have for all of you this morning. You, you didn't know you were going to get homework at church, did you? Over the course of this next week, it is on you to complete that grid and actually do this. Put it someplace that you can't miss it. I would recommend throwing it on your fridge, but remember, if you do happen to have your neighbors over, make sure you take that sucker down. They're going to think that you are up to something rather no good. And, and let it be kind of this nagging reminder to learn the names of the people in those eight households closest to yours. Now, now for some of you, you're going to have to get real creative because you've lived in your house for long enough that if you go across the street and you ask some of these people their names, I mean, they're going to be offended. You've been living in a world of calling them chief and boss and buckaroo and neighbor for, for literal years. For, for some of you, because of your personality, maybe you're more introverted, maybe this message perhaps just doesn't feel like it's for you. You're going to look at all this and you're going to say, nah, I'm not doing this. Nah, I don't want to do this. All right, listen real quick. If you don't call yourself a Jesus follower, that's totally up to you. Throughout these messages, you get to just kind of pick and choose. But but if you call yourself a Jesus follower, come on, don't you dare ignore this. Don't you dare go another day ignoring those people that God has strategically placed in your life. This part's for everyone. Coming to church is not just about listening and learning. It's about taking this information, these God-given convictions, and actually living them out. Do not simply be hearers. In fact, Jesus has plenty of words of warning for those types of people. Be doers. And here's the truth. In order to love someone, you need to know their name. Did you know people need to hear their name over 13 times a day to feel validated? I don't think it's probably a surprise to us. We've all experienced this. Isn't it incredible when you talk to someone that you just recently met and the next time you see in that individual, they call you by name rather than chief or hey buddy. You're sort of baffled and humbled and strangely excited that they actually remembered your name. And if we want any hope to move from stranger to acquaintance to eventually relationship, we have to know their name because it starts out as, what's up, man? How you doing, neighbor? To, hey, Ed, how was your day? Hey, Ed, tell me a little bit more about what you do for a living. Hey, Ed, what do you guys typically do on the weekends? Hey, Ed, would you like some help moving that to eventually, hey, Ed, Bridget, would you guys, along with your children, Tony and Jimmy, like to come over and 
and celebrate Malachi's fourth birthday with us? It wasn't as quick as I just painted there, but that actually happened. That, that was an experience in our lives, and it started with simply learning a name. And as you call on that neighbor by name, conversation naturally happens. And before you know it, you're like, there, there's a real relationship beginning to be formed here. Church, come on. <laughs> We're setting the bar really low this morning. Shoot, even if you don't know Jesus, you can get on board with this. Just learn some names. Even if you think this whole Jesus thing is a crock, you can surely see how learning your neighbor's names might be beneficial. For, for, for some of you, you did that exercise, you've been living in your neighborhood for a long time, I mean, you knocked that thing out. Take it a step further. Can, can you fill in what each of those people do for a living? Can, can you write down their interests, their hobbies? Can, can you fill in what sports or extracurricular activities their child might be participating in? But, but it all starts with simply learning their names. I, I'm gonna close with this. In the, in the book of Acts, uh, Acts is a book that immediately follows those, those gospel accounts, those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts in large part documents the rise of the early Christian church. And, and specifically in the 17th chapter, there's this guy who goes by the name of Paul. He, he's all throughout the New Testament. He's speaking to a group of people who have never, never heard the name of Jesus before. They have no context of Jesus. They know nothing about him. And listen to one of the things that he shares in this moment. He says, from one man, speaking of Jesus, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times, meaning that God literally knew that you were gonna be sitting here and watching this service today and the boundaries of where they live. He knew that you would be living where you live right now. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So how does this, these words that were uttered some 2,000 years ago, how does that apply to us today? Let's make this really, really simple. You are strategically placed. You watching right now are strategically placed. God has determined your appointed time and the boundary of where you live. It's not an accident that you live where you do and it's not an accident that your neighbors are your neighbors. God knew that you would be watching this service today just as much as he knew you would end up living where you currently live. You are strategically placed. No, no matter how long or how short you plan on being there. You have been strategically placed exactly where you are to show Jesus to a world that so desperately needs him, to, to show Jesus to your neighbors. Church, let's go back to this. Can, can we even imagine how our communities would change if every follower of Jesus lived with this truth at the forefront of our minds? And, and then we lived out what Jesus already said is the greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. Listen, th th there's so much in neighboring that, that can be uncomfortable, that, that can be awkward, but, but let us look no further than the example provided by Jesus himself, the king of kings, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who got off of his throne, came down to earth, dwelt among us, died for my sin, for your sin, then rose from the grave because he so desperately wants to be close to you, because he so desperately wants a relationship with you. 
Jesus took this whole neighboring thing to another level. He went from stranger to acquaintance to a relationship real quick. How could we possibly look at the people that God has placed just feet away from our front doors with apathy or indifference or happenstance when we consider what Jesus did for every one of us? Amen? Amen. You are strategically placed.